Guys, give me just one quick moment, and then I'll be right back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's been a while. We are back to Betochen. Before I begin, I want to acknowledge our generous sponsors, our dear show members, Victor and Debbie Janowski. Today's study session is dedicated in loving memory of Debbie's father, Benny Karakowski. His name is Dovber Ben Eliyahu Aryeh. And I have to tell you that... <laughs> He was a very, very charitable man, very giving person, and it's like a stunning hashgacha protest that a class that'll be about tzedakah, about the way to view opportunity to help others, should be dedicated to his memory. His neshama should have an aliyah, and the family should only know of simchas, of good things in Metz Hashem, in good health, and in happiness. So. With no further ado, we're going to be talking about money today. Specifically, not only what we should be doing with our money, but how we should be treating or viewing the money we have and the charity we give. So this is a continuation. Broadly speaking, this is the, actually the 90th consecutive episode, and we're not even halfway through the gate of trust. But specifically, we were speaking about money and why Hashem provides us with more than we need. Because truth be told, Rabbeinu B'chaya's weltanschauung, his perspective, his worldview, is that God necessarily gives each and every one of us exactly what we need. So if somebody has an enormous surplus of financial resources, does that mean that he's supposed to own a private plane and buy battleships? I mean, after all, he has the money. It must be for him. Big mistake. Rabbeinu Bachaya has highlighted two mistakes, and today he will highlight the third. Broadly speaking, it's important for me to say again and again, to remind you, to remind me, 
and to remind all of us that life is filled with nisyonot, with tests, tests of faith, tests of loyalty, tests of our spiritual courage, fortitude, and our mettle. Hashem wants to see how well we behave under circumstances that will necessarily try us. Most people tend to think of nisyonot, of tests of faith, from a negative, suffering kind of perspective. Why would a person of faith suffer? Why would a person who is loving and loyal to Hashem have to endure all kinds of horrible things? None of us, of course, have the answer. As they say, for the believers, there are no questions. And for the skeptics, there will never be any answers. So it's a nisayon. Hashem is testing us. We have to pull ourselves together. We have to find deep within ourselves the spiritual strength and stamina to continue to soldier on. But what many people don't realize is that sometimes it's the test of luxury, plenitude, amplitude. It's not a test in which you're being tried with deprivation, with suffering. It's a test of having not only what you need, but far more than it. What's the test? Well, the test is to see will you live a life of Yiddishkeit devotion? Will you live a God-centered life or a self-centered life? Hashem loves us all, each and every one of us. God does not delight, heaven for offend, in human suffering. God is not chas v'shalom, capricious. We're happy to see any of us squirm. Only in God's infinite wisdom does He know precisely what we need to be able to fulfill our missions, our purpose in life. Sometimes people say, why didn't God make it easier for me? Why couldn't I have an easier life for living? The simple answer is that each of us has exactly the life we need. Exactly the amount of days and hours. Exactly the amount of wherewithal, ability, talent, focus, resources, we have precisely what's necessary. Not any less and not any more. And so each of us is placed into the thick of life as things happen very quickly around us and we have to be mindful. We have to respond to situations. We have to chart the seas of what can oftentimes be the turbulence in life. Depending on how well we do it is how well we fulfill their mission. So Hashem gives a person lots of money sometimes, and it's a big test. The test is, will he or she succumb to materialism? Will he or she wallow in 
the pursuit of libido and sensual pleasure? Or will you use the resources that Hashem gives you for a holy and a sacred person, thereby sublimating both yourself and the material residuals that God has granted you? Many people think that they have to cut corners, morally speaking, cheat, lie, use guile or deceit in order to make money because they're going to do good things with their money. But they have to make it. Big mistake, said Rabbeinu Bechaya. God is going to grant you exactly what you need, assuming you don't sit on your hands. You do what is necessary. But it's impossible to imagine that God would ask you to cheat or engage in deceit. Hashem wants you to engage in commerce, business, your profession with a sense of integrity and perfect honesty. And a person will say, yeah, but I make a lot of money. And it came from wink, wink. Look this way and I'll do that. If not for my sleight of hand, if not for my, you know, coloring the circumstances, telling little white lies, I never would have made this money. Fiddlesticks. Of course you would have. Because none of us can make one penny more, nor should we make one penny less than Hashem has intended for us. Yes, of course we need to make an effort. That's what Torah mandates. Hashem necessarily expects us to. But He doesn't expect us to do it in a manner which is unlawful, illegal, or in contravention of halacha and the expectations that Yiddishkeit makes of us. That's the first mistake. The second mistake Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar enumerated is thinking that, well, the money that's mine is intended for me. Not necessarily so. In fact, according to Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, necessarily not so. In our previous episodes, we learned that there could be a variety of dimensions in the resources or the affluence that God gives us. There's what he called teref mizono, that which you need, that which Hashem obligates himself to provide for you, your sustenance, and everybody will receive it. For as long as Hashem, Almighty God, has ordained life, he will sustain you with what it takes to keep body and soul together. But then there's something called, in Rabbeinu Bechaya's words, not teref mizono, but teref mazon zulato. This is the sustenance that Hashem intends for others. If you're fortunate, it comes through you. It can begin with providing for one's spouse and children. It can include providing for loved ones or extended family. And it can even include the fact that we might have many people in our employment. So we're giving people a salary or granting people tzedakah, our charitable giving. None of that was actually intended for us. We wouldn't keep it anyway. How foolish then is it to think that if I will withhold money that I am obligated in or mandated to give others, that I will actually benefit. How could you? It was never given to you to begin with. And lastly, 
Rabbeinu Bechaya talked about Teref Kinyan. He talked about that which you merely acquire but never benefit from. And you might simply be holding these resources on behalf of somebody else who is Hashem's intended recipient. So it would be foolish to hold on to that tight-fisted. It would be foolish to remain ungiving when in fact it's not even meant for us. The wisest thing, the best thing for us would be to share it with others. So many of us fail this test. And now, today's episode, which concludes this kind of three-part analysis of failing the moral test of wealth, Rabbeinu Bechaya is going to talk about a person who does the right thing. He's charitable, generous, in tune with the needs of others and provides for them. But he's got a terrible attitude. And his attitudinal issues lead him down the garden path of self-ruination. The saddest thing about this third dimension is here's a person who's failing the moral test without actually doing the wrong thing. Typically, we say when it comes to mitzvahs, especially the mitzvah of tzedakah, the most important thing is that the recipient, the intended recipient, receive that which he or she needs. And of course, objectively speaking, from the mitzvah perspective, that mitzvah would indeed be fulfilled. In fact, the Talmud tells us that if somebody loses money, and the poor person finds the money, you still get credit for the mitzvah of tzedakah. The Shara B'tachem doesn't take your merit or remove your, if you will, your, your, your points for doing the right thing. He doesn't take that away from you. That tzedakah is tzedakah. But the big question is, did you succeed at life? Did you live a God-centered life? Did you live the kind of life that Hashem wants and anticipates from you? And if you didn't, you may have done good things, but you failed your test. So, it's keenly important that we understand and begin to change the way we view things so that we not only do the right thing, but we do it with the right attitude and in the right fashion. And that's really what today's class is going to be about. With no further ado, let's jump right into it. If you're following along in the Kihat edition, we'd be on page 137. Vashlishi. The third mistake. The third mistake that a person might foolishly make This is a person who is giving the sustenance 
He's doing the right thing. He's giving that which is required for others to live well. He's giving it to them. He's the patron. He's a benefactor. Ah, however, he makes a big error in the way that he does the right thing. In the words of the Nader Bakaydish, the problem here is this is the third of ways that the benefactor could make a terrible mistake. Previously, we talked about a would-be benefactor. In the first failure, the person may have given an enormous amount of tzedakah. But he or she came to the money through manners illegal. That fails. That fails the test. You obtain things in a way which contravenes the Torah's explicit instructions. In the second example, we may be dealing with a person who doesn't share appropriately, thinking that actually it's all mine. Why should I give that which is rightfully mine? And if he does give, he gives sparingly and far beneath Hashem's expectations. In the third example, once again, a person is giving. And here we might say that this person gives appropriately, and yet, he or she is making a terrible mistake. Now, I want to highlight the word that Rabbeinu B'chayi uses. Noisen hatrofim, he doesn't say he gives the sustenance. He gives the support, the provisions to the poor, to the needy. He says, Leba'aleim. Leba'aleim literally means to their rightful owners. That is to say, as the Paslechen so beautifully points out, we speak about a mistake made by a person, not in action, for he is giving the tzedakah. He is providing others. He's a patron. He's a real benefactor. However, although he knows in his heart of hearts that the intended recipient is the rightful owner, and he understands and knows he knows that that recipient is the rightful owner. He's called the owner, so to speak. This is not arena number two where the person thinks, all is mine. I might share if I feel like it, but it's all mine. And if I don't give it to you, <laughs> I get to keep it and laugh all the way to the bank. And then I can die with the most money, which is kind of a dumb thing to do anyway. But here, we have a person who gives generously, provides for others, knowing that the money that he or she is giving was in, always intended to go to that, that, that person, that place. He knows who Musam He knows that it's only given to him as, if you will, an object for safekeeping. He was merely the custodian, the caretaker. As Almighty God decreed it to be. He knows this. Well, what in heaven is wrong then? This seems to be a really good person. He's doing all the right things. Now, before we answer the question as to what he's doing wrong, I wanted to take a, a moment to share with you just similar verbiage from our sages both Rishonim and later on Achronim, the medieval sages from the period after 
the Chovat Halavavot, and even later on. This idea is endemic in Judaism. It's almost an inherent in the Torah perspective on things. For example, the Sefer HaChinuch, putatively of Rabbi Aaron Halevi, living several centuries after the, ba- the Shara Betochen, writes in the 66th positive mitzvah of the Torah in his system, which is in Parshat Mishpatim, and he talks about the mitzvah of giving a loan. This is the mitzvah that Rambam calls even more impressive than charitable giving. Because the person who receives a loan doesn't have to pay with his or her dignity. On the contrary, I'm like any business person. I'm able to make money, i just not liquid right now. Whereas the person who's getting a handout might feel, well, undignified. So it is a mitzvah. It's a tzedakah-like mitzvah, even more so. The Sefer Achinach's words are, Hashem wants us to do this, to know that Hashem will provide for the needy. They will get what's necessary. However, it's mechastoy baruchu. It's Hashem's generosity, benevolence, and kindness. Shena'asenu shluchim lo. It's our privilege to be His agent, His emissary. Hashem gives us opportunity lezakotenu, to make us meritorious. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. Something we should be joyous about. If I'm in a position to give, I should thank Hashem. That my side of the equation is I have to give. Not chas v'shalom. I have to ask and take. In the words of the Tur, the forerunner of the Shulchan Aruch itself, this is in the laws of tzedakah. By the way, I just want to remind you that if you have any questions and you're on Facebook, just go to YouTube and you can go into the live chat and I do look on occasion. Michal David says the image is slightly out of focus. Are we still out of focus? Yes, no? Image back in focus. Okay, great. So the Shulchan Aruch says in chapter number 247, of Yoridea section of the tour, he says like this, that you must know, ein hamamon shalom, you Mr. Benefactor, you, who has the ability to provide for and give to others, be magnanimous, because it's not your money. Ein hamamon shalom. Well, whose money is it? The answer is, it's God's money. And he's given it to you as a caretaker. God has left a deposit with you. And he expects you to do with his deposit as he wishes. Because you're but a custodian. This is the will of the mafkid. Of the one who made the deposit. Who asked you to take care of his residuals. His will is that you should distribute to the needy of the largest you've received. 
וזהו החלק הטובה שיהיה לו ממנו. And this is the good portion. It's the best money you ever spend. It's the money nobody can ever take away from you. And it remains yours for eternity. As the verse states, when a person gives tzedakah, so it says that tzedek yofan of yahalech, it says, righteousness goes before you. And the Torah says it is boduk umenusa. This is tried and tested. Generations have seen the veracity of these words. Nobody is impoverished by virtue of charitable giving. Much to the contrary. The more you give, the more you actually receive from Hashem. The tour goes on to say that as a rule, we are not allowed to test God with the big exception of what's called charitable giving. There's a beautiful commentary of the Alshech. The great Alshech, the outstanding preacher of his generation, coming to us from the 17th century. In his commentary, um, the words in Parshas Re'eh, which is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 15, verse 10. It says, Naton titen lo. You will surely give him, says the Torah. Let your heart not feel bad in giving him. For it is due to this very thing that Hashem will bless you. Don't feel like you're losing something. You're actually gaining. As the Rabbeinu Avram ben Ezra, the Ibn Ezra says, If you'll give him, Yosef Hashem and God will add to you. And the more one gives, the more one gets. So the Alshech says, why does the Torah use those words? Lo yera, let your heart not be bad. He says an amazing thing. Everyone's heart has a yetzer tov, an inclination to do good, and every one of us possesses the desire the inclination to do that which is bad, selfish. What's it called? Right. Ayyatser Hara. The bad. Sometimes referred to as evil inclination. So he says, this is loyera levavcha, means don't follow your Yetzirah. Ki biglal. For... It was in order. Says Rabbeinu Moshe Alshech, he says, Begalal is also a permutation of galgal, of a wheel. And he begins to describe in beautiful terminology this wheel of fortune, generational wheel of fortune. He says, now you're in the position to give. Nobody knows what tomorrow will bring. And nobody knows what will happen in the next generation or the generation that follows. The person who is a benefactor today could easily be in the position of poverty and a recipient tomorrow. 
or perhaps the benefactor of today was the recipient of yesteryear and the person who you're now giving to is descended from the very individuals who provided for your own ancestors. And whilst nobody can ever guarantee destiny, the wisest thing you can do is do your mission well. And in that way, you can hopefully bring blessing for yourself and for your next generation. The Alshech says, The Torah is not giving us the real motivation, the real reason for being charitable, for being kind and generous and living and giving. That's really what we should do because it's the right thing to do. But here the Torah is giving us fodder to be able to fight the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. This is something everybody can relate to. Kibiglal means We're talking about the wheel of fortune that turns. And he says, give. Give so that in the future, if you'll need, somebody will be able to give you. Or maybe not you, but your progeny. Because this is something the Yetzirah the selfish or bad inclination can well understand. Klal Hadvarim, he says, the rule is, Iker Hatsadarka Hilishma. Kindness should be practiced for the sake of kindness, because that's what Hashem wants. Achlahamtik, but kind of sweeten things. Grease the wheels, make it a little easier to ward off the influence of the Yetzirah. It's good for a person to stop and to think about the idea of a wheel of fortune and the uncertainty of who will be the recipient or benefactor tomorrow. Do you think thunders the Alshech? Do you think that God is simply incapable of providing for those who are needy? Hashem doesn't need you. He has other ways of providing for those who need. What's happening here is Hashem has blessed you so that you should be the one privileged. You should be the one who has the opportunity to carry out this zechut, this merit. Hashem is giving you the greatest kindness in allowing you to be the one to dispense kindness. The Alshech metaphorizes. He says, you know, think of a doctor, an expert medical practitioner, sees two patients. And for one, he provides a very healthy diet. Lots of food. Tremendous intake. And for the other, he says, you need to go on a starvation diet. You have to eat barely anything. <laughs> the food you eat is killing you. And you say, hey, what's going on here? Either eating is healthy or it's unhealthy. The answer is, depends for whom. Depends on the circumstances. I remember hearing from a, a teenage cancer patient. It was another teenager who was very, very sick in the hospital at the same time. And they both had a form of leukemia, but the treatment was very different. Because they're different people. 
and their disease wasn't exactly the same. One had no appetite, or one had a tremendous appetite. One needed to be encouraged to eat, and for the other, the overeating and gluttony was bad, really bad for him. So oftentimes, you ask yourself, well, is, is poverty good for us? If poverty is good for us, we should all be poor. Is wealth or affluence good for us? We should all be wealthy and affluent. And the answer is, what you get is what's good for you. Hashem gave you exactly what you need. And I'm not here to chas v'shalom speak about poverty and suffering and justify any of that. But what I am here, in the name of the al is to tell you that Hashem, who has given you affluence or plenitude, has given you the greatest gift. He's given you the ability to provide for others, and it is a gift to be able to do so. In giving a person affluence, Ratzah Hashem lezakot et ha'ashirim. Hashem wanted to make the wealthy meritorious. And therefore, Hashem enables you to bring relief in a situation where there is a lack or deprivation. Don't feel bad about giving. That's exactly why you have what you have. You only have it to give to another. So that you will give of what you have been blessed. That's why he gave it to you. And there are so many other beautiful expressions within our Torah teachings that bring home this idea that when we are giving tzedakah, we are ultimately doing ourselves the biggest favor. Well, here's the shocker. The fellow that Rabbeinu B'chai is talking about right now knows and understands this. And he is generous. And he is giving to others. Why does he fail then? Aha. He fails because he's very much mindful. He remembers what he did. It becomes about his giving. Inasmuch as deep down he knows that the one who he gave to was always intended to receive. What he had was simply to pass on. But there seems to be a little bit of a, a cognitive dissonance between the knowledge that I've been given so I can provide for others, but hey, I'm the one who gave. I'm the magnate. I'm the big donor. I have to be treated specially. It was my choice. And I made the right choice. And therefore, it's my credit. And he has expectation. He makes the mistake of viewing himself. Ki'ilu hu hitrifam. He says, I am the one who has provided for others. I sustained others. V'chil kelosam. I'm the one who gave them what they need. Hischased bom alehem. It is I, he says, who is the source of kindness and largesse towards them. As such, this person then wants very strongly that everybody 
should acknowledge and thank Him. And they should praise Him profusely. He expects this He expects everybody to say thank you half a dozen times. He expects all the people who He's helped to look at Him or her as the Savior. But that's actually not the case. There's a, a letter I saw from the Rebbe many, many years ago. I didn't have a chance to look for it today. I would share with you the language, Lashon Arav. In my, in my memory, I, I think it was somewhere in the mid-40s, or maybe late-40s, and there was apparently a person who had made a commitment to publish Torah works. One of the things that the Rebbe did in the 1940s was oversee the publishing house of, of Torah, volumes of Torah, especially Hasidus. And this person had made a commitment, and they were reneging on their commitment. And the Rebbe gently reminds him that he was given the funds to be able to do good things. And that a person, in the Rebbe's words, is like a banker sometimes. So Hashem allows you to be the banker to distribute the funds. But if you choose not to do the right thing after you've made a commitment, Hashem may simply instead find another banker. An idea that fits very, very snugly within the Torah perspective of the Rishonim, the Achronim, this is the true Torah way of looking at, at, at money, at residuals. What we have, when it's more than what we need, is for the sake and purpose of sharing with others. And that's the greatest gift that we could possibly receive. Not the extra money for us to hoard, but the money for us to be able to do holy and good acts of righteousness with. Here's a person who's doing the right thing, but sadly, he's doing the right thing for the wrong reason. To better understand the words that Rabbeinu Bechai uses, let's take a look in the past lechem. As if he is the one who's been the provider. Kolomer, that is to say, wrote the past lechem. I mean, he is the one who gave. There's no question about it. He gets the tax receipt. Yes, but he thinks he gave his or her money. It's my money, he says. I could have held on to this. I could have uh, benefited from it myself. I chose to give it to you. It's mine. You owe me now. Vomer, he says, Hitrifam, I gave them. Vomer, he says, Chilkeloisam, I sustained them. In other words, I gave them all the things they needed from that which is mine. This is a very big mistake. So he wants that they should thank and praise him. Paslechem explains the seeming redundancy of Yishabhuhu. He says that means Yoiduhu. Yoiduhu means Befiv. He wants to hear it. Befonov. He wants to hear the thanks. And then he wants to overhear the way they praise and glorify him to others. So thank me and tell the world how great I am 
Sing my praises wherever you go. <laughs> There's a story I heard years ago about a person who gave a very large amount of money to a medical facility. And there were negotiations between this person's legal team and the legal team of, the, of this medical facility. How much wattage would be in the sign that has his name on it? How large would the sign be? but also how much wattage, so how well it could be seen at night. Seriously? Like how foolish, how inane can we be? But here's the thing. We're all very good at judging everybody else. We forget that when you point a finger at somebody else, you're actually pointing more at, your, at yourself. It's fascinating to me how everybody knows what everybody else should be doing with their money, but somehow that doesn't seem to apply to them. Now I know this is, this is videotaped and, and people watch this afterwards. So, but this is very current. You know, like uh, if you're watching now live, you know that Elon Musk just bought Twitter for like $44 billion, right? So there's, you know, it depends where your politics fall. If you're on the left, you think this is like the, the worst thing since the last Armageddon. And if you're on the right, you think this is like the greatest thing since uh, sliced bread or something. And everybody's focused on the virtues or lack thereof. So on, on the, the, the detractors of Musk are like, wow, he could have given $44 billion and ended world hunger, and instead he acquired Twitter. Oh, yeah. Why don't you say the new, the new uh, recipients or the former owners of Twitter can now end world hunger. He gave them the opportunity to help... Isn't that, isn't that something they should do right now? But nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that the people who got the $44 billion are supposed to end world hunger, but the person who gave the $44 billion is supposed to end world hunger, and they're quick to criticize him because they don't like the fact that he's the new owner of Twitter. I'm not opining. I couldn't, it's, I'm not getting involved with it. I do or don't like his ownership or what happens with Twitter, social media. It's beyond the purview of my pay, uh, pay grade, as they say. My job is, my mission is to teach you Hashem's Torah. What I'm pointing out to you is that we are so quick to judge others and so reticent to apply the same standards to ourselves. Sure, it's easy to read this and you think of which rich person you might be speaking of and how obscene and obnoxious those rich people are. No, no, no. How obscene and obnoxious are we? Whether it's $44 billion or $44. If you are able to help others and aren't helping according to your station in life, according to your world, according to your ability, well, then you're failing a test. We love caricatures because they're so clear. They're so obvious. That's what a caricature is. Taking somebody's unusual features and exaggerating them to the point that it becomes you know, like funny in the papers with the political figures or celebrities, and you know exactly who they're talking about because they've taken the unusual features of this individual and elongated them. So a large nose becomes like a, a nose like Mount Sinai, and a, a person's bushy eyebrows suddenly look like a jungle, and every, you laugh because it's, it's funny, it's cute, and it's very, very clear. It's very obvious. But in truth, most of life's situations aren't caricatures. Real life is filled with nuance, very, very fine lines. If it helps you understand the ideas, you can project in caricature fashion, but 
make sure to take it back home. Rabbeinu B'chai is speaking to you and to me. How often have we done somebody a favor? How often have we been kind or generous? And thought to ourselves, I could have kept that. That was mine. I get the credit. You know, he could, he could say thank you. And by the way, we, we should say thank you. And there's nothing wrong with expecting a modicum of politeness. What we call in, in Yiddish to be a mensch. But the words are chosen carefully. He says, It's the profuse nature of thanks. It's the endless ingratiation that this person expects that makes it move from the arena of appropriate into the inappropriate, oftentimes into the grotesque. They may have been a recipient of your generosity. How lucky you are to have been in that position. Not, they owe me everything. They should humble themselves before me thrice daily, at least. They should remember their Savior who helped them when they were down and out. You had the privilege? Thank Hashem. Rabbeinu B'chaya now talks about a person who not only demands thanks inordinately, not only does he expect to have his praises sung from the rooftops, but furthermore, here's a person who expects others to be submissive, to behave like servants towards him. Because it's on his account. You're my slave now, or at least you should be very subservient to me. You did the right thing. But your attitude was terrible. And as such, sadly, you fail your test. And here's where it gets fascinating. Morbidly fascinating. These go. What happens as a result of tzedakah, instead of a person being humbled by the privilege of being able to provide for others, instead of being grateful to Hashem for this extraordinary gift that for no merit, for no special reason, that you might have been selected by Hashem to make a transformational benefaction to help somebody else. Instead, is good. A person becomes filled with arrogance. In fact, he becomes a prideful individual. He becomes haughty. This is a person who becomes proud and conceited. He becomes haughty. Now the word yaniach literally means to put down. Like in the terminology of the laws of 
Shabbat, we're not allowed to transport an object from one domain to the other. You have to make an akira. That means to lift or remove something. And then you have to make something called a hanacha. You place it somewhere. You put it down. But yaniach can also mean to neglect or abandon. V'yaniach hoda'ato alehem. This is a person who places gratitude, his gratitude upon them. What does this mean? The Manoyach Halavavis explains these unusual words in two distinctly different ways. And I'd like to suggest to you that the translator of Rabbeinu Bachaya, Rabbi Yehudi Ibn Tibbin, understood how to convey both ideas because that's what he understood Rabbeinu Bachaya to be saying. So there are two distinct ideas being conveyed within one frame, such as the nature of Hebrew and Torah language. So the first way of understanding this is, is that this person thinks to himself that he places the obligation of them thanking him. He places the obligation of them praising him upon these individuals who were his recipients. He says, you have a duty. You carry a burden. You can never thank me enough. Don't forget your Savior. What he means to say by placing the burden of thanks upon them is, He says, thank me, remember me, praise me, speak about me. I'm the big giver. Or perhaps there is a more profound way of looking at this. Yaniach doesn't just mean to place but it actually means to let go of, to neglect or refrain. Because this is a person who has the wrong perspective. Because he or she thinks that they've given of what is rightfully theirs, even though they know that there's an intended recipient and it was the right thing to do and they had to give tzedakah, but they still think that they gave their, their residual, their money, their wealth, their affluence. So instead of Thanking Hashem. You, Mr. Rich Person, you, Mr. Benefactor, you have the responsibility to thank Hashem for your privilege. But instead, you restrained yourself from doing that. Instead, you felt as if you should be getting the credit, getting the thanks, getting the praise, rather than giving the credit, thanks, and praise to Hashem who gave it to you. Many of the other Mepharshim on the Shara B'tochen echo the Menoyach Halavavah's words. The Neder B'Kredish simply says, take a look in the Baal HaMenoyach. And he says, both are the truth. The person fails his test because he expects people to ingratiate themselves before him. The person fails his test because along with the expectation that he will be the object of thanks and praise, he forgets to thank and praise the true source.
and one is worse than the next. The Marpel and Nefesh simply focuses exclusively on the second. Yaniach hoida ose alem, he says, ene moide o mishabeach lahashem yizborech. Here's a person who stopped thanking and praising Hashem. He's a person who forgot how fortunate was I to be in a position to give others. How wonderful is it that I was in a position to do good to others. How sad is it that the person stopped thanking Hashem. But, says the Toiv Halavonin, in the end, this business of abandoning and refraining, Lahoidis Lakel, from forgetting to thank Hashem, Shemnasan Leitoiv Arambo, who has given you so much goodness. You can give to others. What a gift. You are but an agent. You receive reward when you give. That's the greatest reward you could possibly ask for. The Marple and Nefesh says something quite remarkable here. He says, here's a person whose vision has become clouded. Here's a person who doesn't see it. Instead of realizing how he's been given an opportunity to help others, in his view, he thinks that he is the source of the goodness. But the truth is, in the Marpel and Nefesh's words, Sheha Osher Hu Kimoi Mashpech, the philanthropist is but a funnel. Im Nishbach Lamata, if the funnel is allowing the liquid to be deposited appropriately, Shevchembe. You use the funnel, Mamaila. You know, when you have to put antifreeze in your car or whatever it's called, because you gotta, you got to keep your windshield wipers working during the winter. And it's like a little hole, and you get this big bottle of antifreeze and it spills all over. So you get a funnel. It's wide on the top, narrow on the bottom, and you don't lose the antifreeze. It all goes exactly where it's supposed to go. Well, let me ask you something. What happens if the bottom of the funnel becomes blocked? It's stopped up. You're pouring in and it's going elsewhere. It's not going where it's intended. You're going to get rid of the funnel. You buy a new one. Precisely, says Marpel and Nefesh. That's exactly. In Nishbach Lamato, if it works, if it deposits where it's supposed to, you use it. In Nishbach if it gets plugged, you stop pouring into it. So this big mistake not only is inappropriate, not only does it result in what we would call moral failure, it'll actually rob you of your wealth. Because the only reason you were given that largesse was that you shared with somebody else. You make the mistake of thinking it's actually yours, you can easily then make the mistake of not giving. And when that happens, you stop getting because you aren't fulfilling your purpose or your destiny. It's as simple as that.
With all of this said, I want to share with you the words of the Neder Bakaydish. He says, a person in his or her foolishness clouds their own vision and doesn't see the truth for what it is. So who is our, our paradigm, our example? Who should we look to? What is the proper way to give to others? Because if you're expecting thanks yourself, you easily forget to thank Hashem. The Nedeb HaKadosh says, none other than Avraham Avinu. He is the paradigm of appropriate giving. What did Avraham Avinu do? He provided for others so that they might thank Hashem. Avraham Avinu is the polar opposite of the behavior we're talking about today. Let's take a look at the words of the Gemara. The Gemara is found in Masechet Sota. It's on the end of Dafyudom and Aleph and goes on to Dafyudom and the Beis. And the Gemara says this. The Gemara is talking about Avram Avinu. And since the Gemara mentions Avram Avinu and mentions the tenth of Avram Avinu, the Gemara goes on to say, so there's a verse, Genesis 21, verse 33, it says, Vayita Eishel, he planted an Eishel in Be'er Sheva. Omar Eish Lakish, the great sage, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, known as Reish Lakish, said, this verse is teaching us something. Melamed, it teaches us, Sha'osa Pardes, that Father Abraham made an orchard, planted an orchard. Venotobay kol minei migdonim, he planted or implanted this orchard with all kinds of delicacies. All kinds of beautiful fruits. Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nechemia, what exactly does this mean? Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nechemia had a dispute about this. Chadamar one says pardas. Rishlokish's words that they've taken quite literally, there was actually a, an orchard made. Chadamar, and one said pundak. He created an inn, a place for people to stay. And so. Our rabbis teach us that the word Eishel, Aleph Shin Lamed, a very unusual word that shows up really just once in the Torah, is an acronym for Achila, eating, Shtia, drinking, so a person receiving that which he or she needs to sustain themselves. And then, according to most opinions, Lamed stands for Levia, to escort the person. Because when you escort a person out, you're demonstrating that you actually are happy that he came to visit. Perhaps when a person leaves by themselves, you, you don't feel very good. So Avram Avinu was providing for wayfarers. The Ion Yaakov suggests that Elu ve'elu divrei chayim, both are true. There was an orchard and there was an inn. In the summer, beautiful weather, They'd sit out in the garden, in the orchard, and he'd feed people. In the winter, which is called the rainy season in the Middle East, he had a structure, a place that he brought people in. So they could relax or even get some 
sleep in the garden in the beautiful, warm summer weather where they'd be able to seek respite from the rain. Neither would have worked all of the time. Avraham Avinu was demonstrating the meaning of true hospitality. They didn't have air conditioning then, so indoors would have been hot. You'd prefer to be outdoors. And when it's raining, the most beautiful garden or orchard in the world isn't a comfortable place to be. So the Gemara says, well, if we follow the approach that this is actually a garden, an orchard, that's why the Torah uses the term to plant. You plant trees, you plant an orchard or a garden. But according to the opinion that we speak here, not of agriculture, not of a garden or an orchard, but rather we're talking about an edifice, a building. So he says, my vayita. What's the meaning of vayita then? And the Gemara says, there is a verse that uses vayita, kedichsiv as it's written, and it goes all the way to the book of Daniel, in the 11th chapter. In the 45th verse it says, vayita aholoi apandoi. And there, in the prophecies of Daniel, we hear about one of the kings who will rise before the coming of Mashiach and he will build himself a palatial structure. And the term is Vayita. There's a famous question that's asked that there's actually a verse in, in the, book of, the book of Numbers in the 24th chapter that speaks about the idea of Ka'aholim nata Hashem. And the answer our, our rabbis tell us is that that particular verse might be euphemistic and it could be referring to things on a spiritual level. And maybe then planting would be appropriate. But the verse in Daniel is speaking about construction. So you could say vayita and it could mean building an edifice. But here is what Rabbi Nedeb Kodesh wants us to look at. The Gemara says that after Avraham Avinu planted this orchard, the verse says, Vayikra Shom B'Shem Hashem Kel Olam. He called out in the name of God, God of the universe, God of the world. Omer Eishlokesh Eishlokesh said, Al Tikri, don't read this as Vayikra, which means he called out, but rather read it as Vayakri. He made others call out. So al tikra is a methodology of Torah exorcism where it's like saying pun intended. Don't read the word this way. Vowelize it differently because there's another message. And of course you might ask me the question, what forces us to go to an al tikri? Why do I have to read the Vayikra as anything other than Vayikra? The simple answer, as the Maharsha tells us, is because what does the orchard have to do with prayer? Vayikra Sham, Avram Avinu called there. Did he have to plant a, a, an orchard to pray to God? You can pray to God anywhere. What is the connection? And it's in the same verse. It's like he planted an orchard and he called out to God. So from this, the Gemara understands that somehow the orchard spoken of, the Vayita that is highlighted in the beginning of the verse, leads to the Vayikra Sham Bashem Bekeir Le'olam. Avram didn't need an orchard to pray to God. True. 
but he planted the orchard for others so that others would pray out to God. As the Gemara continues to say in the Fyodom of Beis, it means, Vayakri melamid shehikri Avram Avinu Baruch Avram Avinu caused the name of Hashem to be upon the lips of the wayfarers. Now the mouths of the people who he had fed would open in praise and thanksgiving to Hashem. Ketzad, how precisely did this work? And the Gemara says it worked like this. Avram Avinu would bring people into his home, his orchard. He would feed them all kinds of delicacies. And after they had refreshed themselves, eaten, slaked their thirst, they got up to bless him. What a wonderful man you are. What a fantastic individual. How nice of you and your wife to provide for us. And Avram said, Are you kidding? You think you ate my food? You ate the food of the God of all gods, the God of the world. And they said, what God is that? And he said, the one true God. Thank Him, praise Him, bless Him. So Avram Avinu did all this kindness, and then what happened? He didn't say, thank me. Praise me, bless me. He said, now focus your eyes on Hashem in heaven. In other words, when you give somebody something they need, it's an opportunity not to receive thanks yourself. The goal shouldn't be your praise. The goal should be hoidu, shabchu, barchu. Thank, praise, bless Hashem. That's his nedavakodesh is the way a person should give tzedakah. When a person gives tzedakah and he provides for somebody, somebody says, thank you. Say, thank Hashem. I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to be Hashem's agent to be able to help you. The thanks, the appreciation, the gratefulness that somebody feels should be gently directed towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the Jewish way in caring and sharing. That's the Torah way for us to give and provide for others. Now the Medrash Rabbah speaks about what happens when people didn't want to thank Hashem and that's a, a subject for another day. Avraham Avinu found a way to make sure that they thank Hashem. He'd start to charge them and do all kinds of other things to bring forth in them a desire to help others. I just want to see if we have any questions here. Skippy wants to know, what do I mean when I say it's not my money? I understand that Hashem gives a person money to give to someone else, but also money for the person. So, Skippy, if you go back to the previous lessons, you find out that Hashem could give a person money for three reasons, and I started off today's class by mentioning that. It could be teref mezoinoi, it could be for you. It could be teref mezoin, achedim, it could be for others, like your family. And it could be teref kinyonim. It could be that which you have the privilege of owning, but will never benefit from. So, who says it's actually yours? And if you spend money that isn't meant to be yours, you'll lose the possessions. Or Hashem will direct it elsewhere. In the end, nothing that isn't really ours will ever come our way. And if we have more than we need, we're supposed to be sharing it with others.
So Skippy's question is if a person actually gives away his own lunch to somebody else. Would that be an example of giving? So first of all, your life comes first. Torah Judaism does not teach we should give our life for somebody else. But that's an interesting point that you're raising. If, if, I, if I had money for my lunch, if I went hungry one day and I gave for somebody else, could I have given away that which is rightfully mine? I suppose that possibility does exist. At times, a person may actually give away, give of themselves to the point that they have made perhaps what you would call a bit of a, of a sacrifice. But that's not the rule. As a rule, that's not what's expected. And as a rule, that which we give is beyond our own food. It's beyond our own needs. It's that which Hashem has given us so that we should be able to share with somebody else. And maybe we're not talking about that kind of charitable giving. Although, I would venture to say that a person who's so kind and charitable doesn't expect thanks. Because it's not about him. Here's a person who is transcendent of self. Rabbeinu Bachai is addressing somebody who's very much aware of himself or herself and their needs. And that's what leads them down the garden path. Okay, so now I think we have some clarity here. We, we uh, kind of have a sense of where the Shara B'tachan is going with this all as we'll continue to move through the text. The Yachshev, the, the person mistakenly thinks. Now, the Neder B'Kaidish says this is another mistake, a secondary mistake. The first mistake is, hey, Thank me, praise me, bow to me, I am your savior. Big mistake. The second mistake is the person starts to think, Had I not given you, you would have stayed with me. I gave you what's mine. However, that's a mistake. As the Nedab HaKadosh says, He thinks he would have stopped it. So then, he would have remained with all the money. Baloney! Hashem would find another way for the money to disappear. It was never intended for you. And here's the thing. You don't know. I don't know. Can anybody know with certainty? As, as we learned earlier, there are different me- methods in which Hashem gives us the money. Yes, that which you actually need is putatively intended for you. And that's yours the bare bones, the necessity that a person has, keeping body and soul together, isn't the vast majority of what we're talking about. Most often we're talking about residuals which are above and beyond our own needs. We aren't asking you to move out of your house and give your own lodgings to somebody else. We aren't asking you to give your own food away. We're asking you to share your residuals, your wealth, your affluence, your plenitude with others who don't have anything. He says, ha, if not for I Almighty, then their sustenance would be lost. But that's not true. Hashem would find another way to give it to them. And so, in the final analysis, who's poorest 
of them all. Rabbeinu Bahaya says, Vehu Haoni, you are the poor man. He is the impoverished one. Asha Yigalorik he has toiled and worked and expended so much effort, and he's actually given the tzedakah. However, the Yafsid Haba, he loses his reward in the world to come. Now this indeed does sound very sharp. Why does he lose his, his reward? What does he mean he is an Oni? He's not, he's not poor. He's an Oni, says the Menech Halavavis, Bedas. He's an Oni, so to speak. He is poor, he's impoverished in his own mind because he has a poverty perspective on life, an impoverished way of looking at things, one that makes him poorest of all. We're talking about a person who is an Oni. And an Oni means, says the Tev Halavonim, Asher Yigalorik, who has expended so much toil and effort in vain. He's made this money. Others have had it. And he doesn't even get rewarded for it appropriately. Now, of course, he'll get rewarded for giving tzedakah. It's obviously self-understood that if a person gives tzedakah, they get the reward for the tzedakah. However, the real reward that a person could have had by passing his or her test, because remember, it's not a question of if you did this mitzvah. The bigger question is, did you pass your test in life? Did you discharge your mission with a plum and with alacrity? Did you do what Hashem actually expected you to do? And if the answer is you didn't, how sad is that? You'll be rewarded for your act of charity, but you will forfeit the reward for toiling in all of maintaining your business affairs. And this takes us back to something Rabbeinu Bahai said much earlier. He said that it's possible for a person to be serving Hashem in every moment of his life. How so? He's not sitting in a shul, he's not davening and learning the whole time. He's serving Hashem because in every single moment of life when he's toiling out there, he's actually doing what Hashem asked him to do. Hashem gives you your sustenance. Hashem also says, God will bless you in everything you do. And this is the original blessing and the commandment that was given to Adam and Eve. Go out there and work. So if a person is working, but he knows that he's working only because Hashem said to work and he's providing God cover. As we've discussed so many times in the previous episodes, you're creating this, this smokescreen, camouflaging the situation where Hashem is providing you with everything you have, but you think it looks like it's your efforts that are doing this, but you're doing it for the sake of heaven. And you know that it's Hashem's. And you know that you're merely the fortunate recipient of Hashem's blessings. So that in that case, all of the effort you put in was considered a mitzvah, an act of holy love and loyalty to Hashem. But if you think it's yours, then all that effort you put in, all of the time, all of the, the, the toil, all of the angst, all the frustration, which could have been an act of holiness, instead became an act of selfishness because you think it's yours. And then now people have to praise you and thank you and bow down to you and be subservient to you. So you get reward for the actual tzedakah, but you miss the reward for everything that brought you to that moment. How sad is that? You could have received a far greater reward, a remuneration, not for your tzedakah, but rather for having done everything as a yid is supposed to, and that sublimates and elevates all of life. 
So a person is losing that reward, so to speak, in the world to come. That's where he or she has lost in a very, very real way. The Neda Bakredesh. Guys, if I'm live, let me know because something has just crashed here. Am I live? You guys see me? Wow, I think it's still happening. Live in YouTube. Okay. Thank you, Lonely Man. And live on Yeah, I think I'm live on Facebook too. Not sure what just happened. Okay. So moving right along. What we have described here is the situation where the person has lost the opportunity to receive the proper remuneration to fulfill his or her destiny in life. And the Nodeh Bakredesh adds something very interesting. So why did he lose his portion in the world to come? Did he not do a mitzvah of tzedakah? He says, yes, he did. However, like the Bala Manoyach said, you lost your opportunity to thank Hashem for the privilege of being a benefactor. And that's a tremendous thing. Now, we're not talking about a person who denies that Hashem gives him. We said earlier, we said clearly, this is a person who knows that it's what Hashem has given him. But somehow he thinks that although Hashem has given it to me, but now it's mine. And now I'm the one who's electing to be kind. And so you're missing out on a chunk of holy devotion. What do you have to show for it? You demanded respect, you demanded honor. And in the end, maybe, at best, people will flatter you. You don't receive the honor you crave. The thanks you're getting is probably insincere anyway. And most importantly, you lost the opportunity to view life as Hashem wants you to. You failed the test of affluence. And so Rabbeinu Bachai now sews it up, going now back to the original point. The point was... That wealth is a big test. We could fail because we use illegal means to obtain our wealth, but Hashem was going to give it to us anyway. We could fail because we don't give thinking that actually it belongs to us, but it was given to us so that we pass on to someone else. We could give to somebody else and fail the test because we think that we get the credit. And instead of thanking Hashem or directing others to thank Hashem, we look for self-aggrandizement, vahamaskil, and the person who is indeed wise, the person who can see through the silliness of life, he conducts himself in all three areas, in the manner that is appropriate, 
and that which is appropriate or good for his world and for his Torah. What does that mean for his world and for his Torah? What does it mean? So what is this masculine? What is this wise person saying? The wise person, says the Marple and Ephesh, is the per- person who makes his money, but he does it in an honest way. And he doesn't spend his life pursuing wealth and affluence. It's not all about the money. And if he has money, he distributes the money, and he is generous. He doesn't get uptight over things. And if he gives, he doesn't become arrogant and prideful as a result. He doesn't expect people to ingratiate themselves. So this person is able to succeed, so to speak, at passing his or her test. Litorato says Paslechem, Chovatorato, the responsibility the Torah places upon you. Leolamo, Sheyetiv Lobolam Hazakis. Guess what? Doing the right thing is not only good for you in the world to come, it's good for you right here. It's good for you in Bitchono. It's good for you in your trust, Hashem. Because your trust becomes appropriate. And when your trust becomes appropriate, and when you serve Hashem right, you are the greatest beneficiary. Unfortunately, we're all out of time. So we're going to have to leave it here. And Be'ezrat Hashem, when we come back next week, we'll focus on this idea this incredible concept that real trust can change everything. To be continued. Thank you so much for participating today. I look forward to seeing you back in Bezrat Hashem as we continue to learn and develop the right attitude and perspective and deepen our trust in Hashem. We're able to live with a sense of certainty. All of us can be happier, more fulfilled, and most importantly, we can f- succeed at our mission both personally and globally, perfecting ourselves and perfecting the world with the coming of Mashiach Bemheira Ubi Amenu speedily and in our days. Amen. Thank you so much for joining. Have a wonderful day. I look forward to seeing you back.